0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself self-guided public land elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast. Happy Friday, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate your support. I hope you're hanging in there. You know, life is uh, definitely interesting these days, but there's lots to be done. And if you're at home, I know you're taking advantage I know that you're working hard towards your goals, and I appreciate that. I recognize that. Make sure that you're still the leader that your family needs. Make sure you're still doing unattractive, disciplined decisions that build mental capacity and move you closer to your goal every day. Today, we are bringing on Christian from ArcheryStrong.com. This dude is a well-educated subject matter expert when it comes to shoulder health, injury prevention, archery performance. This guy's the real deal. Uh, He also has a strong background in strength and conditioning, pretty sure he can snatch, clean and jerk more than me, and uh, he's just a good dude, so we're going to bring him on, we're going to have a good intellectual conversation about shoulder health, we're going to get a little nerdy, but I think it's going to remain very understandable, relatable. And I think if you guys are bow hunters or want to be bow hunters, or if you're somebody who likes your shoulders and wants them healthy, this is a good listen. And this guy's got a lot of great programs on his website. Go to archerystrong.com. Check it out. Follow him on Instagram. I'll provide links to both in the show notes. Also in the show notes, I'm gonna leave a link to Black Ovis's discount for Elk Shape Podcast listeners. If you're getting trail cams, if you're uh you actually probably want to go to their sister website, Camo Fire. But uh, the discount code works on Black Ovis, especially for like Sika gear purchases. Uh, that would be probably your best bet. And then um, I'm going to leave the discount code in the show notes as well. But if you're writing it down right now, the discount is Elk Shape, one word, that'll get you 20% off. The next discount code is Climate. They're out of Utah. They make good sleep systems. Use the discount code Elk Shape20 to save 20% off. Crossover Symmetry. Discount code ElkShape20 that'll save you 20 bucks on your injury prevention, which is very applicable in what I do to keep my shoulders healthy. Backoo e-bikes elk shape 400 will save you 400 dollars off an e-bike and i think those are applicable regardless of where you hunt and if you didn't catch our last podcast it was a bonus cast with dave from baku and we kind of nerd out on their bikes a little bit if you're looking for 10 percent off any lakewood products including their bow cases use the discount code elk shape 2020 uh, that's what i got for you guys right now as far as partners in this podcast, Vortex Optics. Thank you for all that you do. I can't wait to run my UHDs. Looking for bears next week. It opens. I got my bear tag. I'm so pumped. The boots I'll be wearing are Kinetrek. I'll be wearing the mountain guides with gators. I like the Kinetrek gators, and uh, those are going to be rocking and rolling. I'll be using Onyx Hunt quite a bit. I know there are some places that are closed and trailheads that are closed, but there's definitely some private timber stuff that I can still hunt. So I'll be using Onyx to find those features where the bears want to be elk-shaped campers. I am rescheduling the Colorado one. Uh, we will move the Wisconsin and the Colorado camps later in the year, probably not too later. I'm thinking May, June, or July. I will get those figured out. I have to coordinate with a lot of archery shops, workout facilities, subject matter experts, airfare you know what all that that's my burden to bear i'll get it figured out and hopefully most of you can come to the postponed camp and if you cannot we'll figure out a way to get your money or some sort of uh credit for next year we'll figure it out we'll do what's right and go from there i'm going to shoot a bear with an axis uh five millimeter 340 spine 100 grain grim reaper three blade micro hades and that'll be 440 grains coming in at you with my AAE, max stealth veins, they're helical to the left because I clocked my arrows. That means I shot my shafts with all my components in them minus the veins. And I shot him into a target at about five yards, and I would say nine out of the 12 arrows went to the left out of my bow. I just did a silver sharpie by the knock. Got the idea from Josh Jones of Spokane Valley Archery, and actually recently saw that Levi Morgan did a video on that YouTube. I was like, wow, that's cool. So if Levi's doing it, I'm doing it. Maybe you should be doing it. So that's what's going on there. Uh, thank you, Phelps Game Calls, for all the help on the on all the Elk Shape camps, giving everybody a bugle tube and a diaphragm call. I've been handing the grays out mostly because that's my go-to middle of the road. Uh, then you have the Jason Phelps pink ones; those are a little bit more aggressive, and then Mavericks even a little bit more aggressive, and that's the red. But I have a variety. I've been handing those out and getting everybody dialed in, which is great. Elk Shape podcast listeners, discount code Elk Shape 30 for Wilderness Athletes, save 30% on your first purchase. Sika Gear has been giving three core lightweight hoodies to uh, every camp that we do, and I've been able to give that out. That's my favorite piece from Sika, and it's going to be perfect for spring bear. That's what I got today, guys. Let's get in it with Christian. I appreciate your support. If you would do me a solid, tell a friend about this podcast. There's no fluff. It's all blue-collar hard work, and I know that you guys are hanging in there. I got nothing but love for you all. Keep your head up and keep working hard. Here we go. Good morning, Christian. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good, man. It's 7 a.m. here, 10 a.m. there. That's that's what I was thinking. I was looking at um your
2: schedule as far as when you had open slots for this, and I was trying to backtrack to, uh, you know, three hours. I know you're an early riser, which is which is awesome, and you're just getting your morning started, or you've probably been up for a little bit. But
1: yeah, we've gotten some things done as a as a father uh, mornings are so critical. Kids are still sleeping and you just have to like hit the ground running, man. So what's going on with you, man? Where do you live exactly? I live about
2: 45 minutes North of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I'm on the Western side of Pennsylvania. Um, kind of, kind of on the rural edge, the line between what is now, uh, getting a little more suburban and, uh, still rural. Uh, this our our area is exploding uh, with growth particularly because you have a lot of like middle class families that are still within a, a reasonable commute of Pittsburgh so thankfully I still got quite a few uh, farms surrounding my house that I'm able to venture on and and hunt on and do some different things but uh, it's it's good for now it's good for now
1: do you do you live on property or acreage uh I live
2: on uh, six here where I'm at. And then my dad, uh, nearby owns 20. Um, but very blessed to have made a lot of good connections and friendships with the surrounding farmers. So, uh, probably an easy 600 acres, 700 acres, um, that I can go out my back door to. So it's best of both worlds, I guess.
1: Well, talk me through Pennsylvania because like I'm trying to coordinate an elk shaped camp 2021 at Lancaster Archery. Uh huh. Seems like Pennsylvania is dense with bow hunters. Is that my imagination or is that just how what it is?
2: Uh no, you're you're spot on. From my understanding, um and you could double check, but from my understanding, actually right where I'm at here in southwestern Pennsylvania has the highest density of bow hunters anywhere in the country. Um, I, I looked at a density map not too long ago. The the densest states are Ohio, New York, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin. Those might be the five. But like specifically down in the southwest corner, it is, I mean, it's super, super, super populated as far as bow hunters go. Um, Lancaster is more towards the center of the state. But as far as, you know, your reach goes and, you um, your, your market, I think that, uh, yeah, this, this would be an awesome place to do it for sure.
1: Well, here's the question. Have you hunted elk out West yet? I have. Um, I was, I was lucky enough to go
2: not this past September, but the September before, um, uh, friend, one of my best friends and his dad, uh, we went out to Wyoming. It was Casp. Uh, just, I think just East of Casper, Wyoming. Um, and man, that was, uh, that was the coolest, most exhilarating experience of my life. Without a
1: doubt. Right. I mean, so what was that like just for Wyoming's so beautiful and just different than Pennsylvania? What was it like when you showed up? It was unique. It was
2: cool. It was very arid, uh, very dry, uh, absolutely beautiful. I mean, the landscape is is pretty open. We we did get into some mountains as we drove back in, but um, yeah, just uh, just a really neat, unique place. Um, kind of kind of homogenous in the sense that there there's not a whole lot of change, you know, as you go and as you're, you're racking up the miles, moving through the mountains. Um, you know, there's pine. There were pines out there, sagebrush and a whole lot of rock. And that was pretty much about it. Um, but yeah, very different from here and, and, an awesome experience for sure.
1: Are you going to make it back out West this year?
2: No, I am not. No, uh, with some different life changes, not going to be able to make it work, but definitely looking forward to that in the future.
1: Well, give us your background, man. Like obviously you own Archery Strong, uh, I just found it not too long ago on Instagram. Love the content. Think it's super uh, critical for people to follow your page. I think all the information is legit. As you probably know, like I'm a huge fan of injury prevention as well as doing your general due diligence maintenance. But give us a background on like yourself, your education, your bow hunting career, and then lead us into how you started Archery Strong. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm 25
2: and I did an undergrad program for exercise science and, um, really, really liked that, really enjoyed that. Halfway through my degree, I got a job that I really liked and was an awesome opportunity. And that was working at a sports, sports injury and sports performance office. So, my job or my work there has been movement assessments and corrective exercise. So assessing movements, as far as looking at movement patterns, looking for dysfunctions, looking for abnormalities or compensations, that sort of stuff all across the body, but always took a liking to the shoulder. So assessing movement and then based on that assessment and based on what I find prescribe specific, really targeted corrective exercises to address that dysfunction that I found. So a lot of details go into that, but it's about being as specific and as effective as possible. So that was the, uh, we'll say exercise or or human physiology side of things. And uh, a number of years before I had gone to college, I had really gotten to bow hunting um, and, and archery. And one of the big things I was doing around here in Western Pennsylvania, on the farms I was talking about earlier was hunting groundhogs with a bow. Um, really, really enjoyed that, just the challenge. It kinda, kinda reminds me of uh, a little bit of Western-style hunting, except you're going after animals in a hole. Um, and I had been doing that a lot, helping some local farmers with that, and as I was shooting more and doing some different things, it kinda dawned on me with the, the, the arrow volume that I was shooting, I began thinking about what I could do to protect my shoulders. I had had a few few days where they had bothered me, and a few um, things pop up as far as soreness and whatnot. So I started to take that movement assessment, corrective exercise, injury prevention perspective, and started to apply it to archery. Uh, And that's that's where I ran with it. And um, as I thought more about it, and as I started to dive deeper into it, I thought, I know from talking to guys, uh, being at my local bow shop and some different things, I, I knew that pain and injury and deterioration of the shoulder was a, a real issue for a lot of people, particularly some of our guys and girls that uh, are getting a little bit older uh, in this sport. And I, I know that for you, Dan, you know, how passionate you are about not only elk, uh, hunting and archery and, and uh, fitness. But we all are, and we, we all love to hunt, we all love to shoot our bows, and I have this overwhelming um, goal that I, I never want that to be uh, limited, or I never want that to be taken away from somebody. So this is kind of my way and um, my journey to make sure that everybody is able to keep in this game and, and not be taken out of it. So it's been, been fun, it's been an awesome learning journey so far, and really excited to keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, so you have kind of a couple different capacities. It seems like you you have Archie strong, and it looks like you either do you own a CrossFit or do you just work out at one or lease one or are you a coach at one. There's some CrossFit in your life, I can tell. Yeah,
2: yes, uh, there. I, I coach part time right now. I also uh, travel within uh, the Western Pennsylvania area uh, to teach some different Olympic weightlifting seminars. <clears throat> Excuse me for the. Snatching the clean and jerk, which I know you're familiar with, um, so I teach those seminars. So some of the different gyms you see me at uh, involve those, or the one I coach at, and that was CrossFit was a really big part of my life uh, through high school and through college. kept me kept me out of some bad situations and served a really good purpose in my life. But it eventually completely shifted to archery and bow hunting. Um, so yeah, so that that is still in my in my life, I guess in a sense. But uh, yeah, so I I am part time at the um, the CrossFit gym, part-time at the sports injury clinic. Uh, I, again, I do some, some traveling for some different seminars and whatnot. Um, and then I have Archery Strong as well.
1: Okay. So for Archery Strong, let's dig in on that. Like, man, it seems like you have two different jobs and then you have Archery Strong, which is self-employment, which means there is always something to be done. (laughs) There's, you know, there's, that's the thing about self-employment is like, there's no like chill time unless you actually have like force yourself to do it. There's always something. Are you do, are you writing programs online, like virtual clients? Are you working with people locally? A little bit of both. Like what is the the business model behind Archery strong?
2: Yeah, sure. So a little bit of both uh, to your, your question about online versus local. Um, I have some local clients that I either meet with at, at the bow shop at the gym So that's been a small portion of it, but a large portion of it is, uh, more virtual or online clients. So whether that be, um, writing specific programs for an individual, um, I'll do movement assessments and consultations and shoulder assessments online. Um, we have some of the programs that are pre-written up that we sell. Um, so most of it is primarily online and that as you probably know, and, and you've experienced is an awesome Avenue because it allows me to achieve my goal of reaching more people. Um, it, with the end goal being of makes sh- making sure that everybody's shoulders are in working order to be able to enjoy archery and to enjoy bow, hunt- bow hunting, the limitations of just working in the area can be pretty significant. So, um, I've in the past year, everybody from, um, places in China, places in South Africa, um, Canada, all across the U.S., um, so a lot of different countries, and that's been really cool to be able to reach out to people across the world, truly, um, and make sure they get the the training and the the care that they need. So, yeah, it's, it, the, the business model is primarily online, and that definitely opens up a lot of doors.
1: Yeah, not only bow hunters, but, I mean, target archery is king. I mean, that is where you're probably going to find a lot of athletes that are super interested in not staying on the sidelines. Um, And then the nagging pains, like it seems like people obviously overlook, maybe even neglect the health of their shoulder. And it's, it's kind of a tricky area. I mean, there's a lot going on at the shoulder. Uh, Do you think you got majority of your experience like halfway through your undergrad when you got that job at that basically movement clinic? Or where did you feel like you made your biggest strides in your education and your application?
2: Uh, 100% at the sports injury office. Um,
1: I, I always tell people that
2: a degree lays a really nice foundation as far as your understanding of anatomy, your understanding of physiology in some of the basic basic level principles. But as far as learning how to apply the knowledge, learning how to use it, learning how to problem solve, um, gaining experience about what works, what doesn't work, that 110% came from working at the sports injury clinic, which has been about uh, five, six years now. And then in addition, working with with clients. So it's it's really a matter of getting out out there and doing it um, or learning from others who do it as well. So I I really try to take the the route of learning from mentors. Anybody who will talk to me, um, I'll listen. Just like you know, with your camps, you bring people in who are experts in their field or have a unique perspective. That's the same thing that that I've been able to do, and, and that I continue to to try to do. So the, there's there's no replacement for getting out there and doing it, seeing, seeing shoulders for every single day for five years and, um, giving correct, corrective exercises specific to that person and their issues, seeing how they respond, seeing what works, what doesn't work. I mean, that just is absolutely invaluable. And I talk to my fiance often about how, you know, a lot of times we don't know how the, the path of life is going to turn out. And and I just look back and I'm just so thankful that I've been able to do everything I've been able to do because I don't think I'd be able to do archery stronger. I know I wouldn't be able to do archery strong adequately without the, the different experiences I've had. So there's, yeah, that, that in field time and, in observing, evaluating, applying that is, that's what it's all, all about. That's cool. So you said fiance, man, when's the date? Yeah. Well, right now it's August 8th and, uh, we're, we're hoping and we're we're trusting that that'll hold strong and we shouldn't have any issues by then but we'll um, be unique to see but yeah August 8th it's coming up coming up
1: soon are your guys' gyms all closed over there in PA
2: yes yes they are as of Monday night they released a mandatory closing of facilities like that so thankfully I've got a little garage gym little home gym I'm actually sitting at now just like uh, I know you do in your garage. So I've got, got enough stuff there and enough stuff I can do outside and whatnot. But yeah, our, our gyms are locked down, closed down.
1: Oh man, so yeah, the the home gym life to me, it's awesome. I mean, uh, it doesn't duplicate the uh, the intensity I could get by working out with others and, and pushing and just that energy. But it, I mean, you, you gotta have some sort of home gym. So let's break down home gym etiquette as far as, okay, a lot of folks message me on the daily, like, what should I buy first? And, uh, I know what I tell them as far as making stuff, but like, what are your top, like maybe top three things in your home gym that you can make or buy on the cheap that are super versatile? Yeah.
2: Um, I'll tell you, I was just, just had a conversation with a client the other day. He's a a CrossFit client. And I said that my absolute necessity or go-to is I absolutely love the Russian kettlebell swing, um, just from a perspective of posterior chain development. And, uh, actually in that conversation, I, I think it, I'm pretty sure it was a quote from you. I told him, I think you had said at one point something about the, the glutes being the glutes or hamstrings being responsible for helping a, a man climb a mountain. Um, and, uh, I really like that. And that again, speaks to the, the Russian kettlebell swing. So I really like a heavy kettlebell um, not only can you use that for swings, but you've also got that for goblet squats, deadlifts, cleans, um, some overhead work if you need it. And then carries too are awesome. So that's, that's definitely going to be one of my go-tos. Um, I've been really enjoying, I posted a little bit about it yesterday, but, uh, a log, a, a log of any size or shape with, with handles or without handles, that's a cool object to carry, um. I also have a stone. I think that's from, I want to say hybrid athletics. Maybe. Um, I've been really liking that. Um, as you can hear, I'm having a hard time putting just, just three is my top three, but I would say definitely that, that kettlebell. Um, if you can, if someone can do it, a, a barbell with plates is going to be one of the most versatile things that you can have. And then I'm a big fan of rings as well. Rings for different body weight variations. I think they're, or I know they're more more versatile than uh, like a TRX suspension trainer.
1: And they're they're cheap too. I mean, like r- w- rings are like what sixty bucks nowadays. I have no idea, but
2: yeah, yeah, they are cheap. Especially if you know the um, the wood ones. The nice wood ones are nice if you're going to be doing a lot of muscle up work. But if you're not doing muscle up work, yeah, you can find some pretty cheap ones, or you could even make you could even make some um, very very cheap if you're just looking to do. Um, push-ups in rows in some different core variation or core work uh, pieces so yeah that's uh it it really doesn't take a whole lot to be able to have a lot of versatility in a home gym and what I always remind people too is this stuff lasts forever you know as as long as you're not beating it to hell and, and you know, misusing it. I mean, a squat rack is going to last forever. A barbell is going to last for a very, very, very long time. So it's a great investment. Um, And and like you said, one thing I see of value, especially for you and your clients, is that, yes, a gym atmosphere and the community of fitness is really valuable as far as motivation and support and encouragement, et cetera. But the home gym, I think, is going to mimic that solitude and mimic that self-reliance a whole lot uh, better than a gym is going is a gym is going to. So not to say you should never work out in a gym, but when you're on the mountain and maybe you've got one guy with you, a couple guys, or maybe you're by yourself for a little while, you've got to have that that inner drive, that ability to motivate yourself. I always laugh and um, give crap to my my clients when I'm coaching or when I'm coaching classes. And they'll get mad when uh, the music isn't turned on loud enough or maybe I forgot to turn it on and, you know, they're, they're going to be giving me crap. And I, I always just joke with them and I say, guys, you got to be able to motivate yourself outside of just music. Um, there's a lot of power in being able to to push yourself and have those mental conversations without the help of a community and of and from music and again that's not to say you should never have that but um i think that's that's really important just from a, a self-development um, perspective too
1: oh my gosh you're giving me flashbacks to 11 11 years of running a box just the music like you never can please everybody oh man tell <laughs> Tell me about it. And you get the whiners that it's not loud enough, or turn it up, or change the song. And I've I literally would always tell people, I am not a DJ. I am a coach, and uh, I'd get I'd get pissed off about that. But no, I don't. That's yeah, I don't miss doing that. The uh, the thing that's interesting about your model is that, dude. Like, I like that you have some CrossFit appreciation. Uh, I don't necessarily just preach CrossFit. I like. The, some principles of CrossFit. Yes, like, yes, yes. You're, yeah, you nailed it. You know, there's some good stuff there, but like maybe it'd be nice to hear your rendition or what's the distilled down principles of like quote CrossFit that bow hunters across the nation should probably be implementing in their training.
2: Yeah, so I, I love, I love how you, um, I use the word you use, how you distilled down the idea of. The principles in CrossFit are th- are what I think have the most value versus maybe versus the specific movements or wads or whatever. It's the principles and um, the overwhelming principle that that I love and uh, specifically for a bow hunter who is going to be a more active bow hunter, for instance, like a Western hunter and the guys that you're that you're working with, is the idea of being a a jack of all trades, in the sense of you may not be great at anything but you're good or you can hold your ground in everything Um, so for instance you know power lifters gonna deadlift five six seven hundred pounds I may not be able to do that but if I can pull 315 a couple times and I can run a decent mile um, that's a fantastic well-rounded state of fitness so CrossFit preaches um, being proficient and and being strong in you know, we'll say your three heads of fitness as far as um, weightlifting, um, uh, conditioning, and some body weights or skill or gymnastics or whatever you'd like to call it. So I think the principle of being capable in, in those three realms or just being capable in all realms, hey, I'm going to give give you a task. And no matter what it is, you know, you're going to be okay. And I think that that as, as again, from a well-rounded uh, perspective of fitness. I think that that's, that's awesome. And I think that that's where CrossFit really, um, succeeds. And what I tell people all the time is I don't personally, in my opinion, I don't think any form or any brand of fitness is, is perfect. Um, I don't think CrossFit is perfect. I don't think bodybuilding is perfect. I don't think, um, an endurance athlete is perfect, but what we can do is like you said, you can take those principles of what is value valuable from each one. Um, and, and that's where I think a lot of the magic is. And that's where, from, from what I've seen from you and from your work with the camps, um, I, I think that you take that principle and you run with it, which is awesome. It, we call it right. General, general physical preparedness and, um, can't be any holes, can't be any holes in your game.
1: Yeah, speaking of GPP, which is like all I'm concerned about going forward. Um, you teach Olympic weightlifting, and I've done a ton of Olympic weightlifting to the point where I ain't as good as I once was, but I was good once as I ever was, type of thing. And uh, there's two two kind of questions that that stirred up in my mind was like, okay, so from my perspective. I try to snatch some, somehow snatch once or twice a month. That's it. Um, and I even count overhead. Sorry. I still don't know how to turn texts off on my computer after a hundred plus podcasts. Sorry people. I'm on a group text with some guys and they just are hammering. Sorry. Um, so anyways, like I was saying, um, I'll even count overhead squats as kind of my snatch variation. Um, so I try to overhead squat, I guess, twice a month, but, uh, I don't do a lot of Olympic weightlifting anymore compared to every day I was doing something. I was doing snatch off blocks or I was doing re- heaving snatch balances. And some of these people don't even know what I'm talking about. Jerk recoveries, jerk balance. I mean, there was always something to be doing Olympic weightlifting. And uh, I had a comment on one of my YouTube channels. I've made a video and I just it was just a, a lift and shoot video. And I think I had a light barbell, and I was doing like – there was like 15 overhead squats at 95 pounds, and it was like five rounds. I was doing other things, and I love the workout. Honestly, I like being overhead. I like that I can do that, and I don't want to lose that. Um, So I guess here's my questions. What do you think – where does Olympic weightlifting – where does that place – stand when it comes to creating a program for somebody that wants to improve their overall fitness? And then I guess that segues into where do overhead squats stand on there as far as quality of a movement, um, not a must, a should, uh, what's the parameters around that? And just kind of, let's kind of stir that pot a little bit.
2: Yeah. So um, (laughs) my perspective of the Olympic lifts has kind of broken into two categories. And what I mean by that is, think about, think about this comparison first. Let's take, let's take sprinting, all right? And sprinting, you can have somebody sprint for the purpose of becoming a good sprinter with good technique, with, with good form that is gonna maximize their sprinting ability. It's more technical or you can put somebody on a line you know you you take take some football players and you put them on the line and you make them sprint until they are they're 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 gassed they're 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 sucking winds you use it for more of like a conditioning or, or rather like a power output or a work capacity side does that make sense so you have you have something that's more you're using sprinting for something more that's more technical you use sprinting for like work capacity I kind of view the Olympic lifts in that sense. And, and, and that sounds a little, it, it is a little CrossFitty, y and, and it kind of has developed from my perspective of CrossFit. But in my mind, you can, you can Olympic lift more from the perspective of, again, the technical side, really refining the movements, really refining um, your bar path, your catch, Your different positions all those different things or you can olympic lift from more of like a a work capacity output And what I mean by that is I'm no longer talking about squat snatching or full snatching. I'm talking about um, Snatching with an axle bar like power snatches with an axle bar or even dumbbell snatches or as a variation or a moderate weight barbell power snatch uh, moderate weight power cleans that sort of thing Um, so that is where I I think more folks that are, are looking to build their fitness and looking to build, um, their, their work capacity and their power output, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think as long as the the individual moves well, and that's the big asterisk there, as long as the individual moves well with the lifts, I think that some smooth, higher repetition, um, power cleans are, are a good thing. Um, very simple pulling from the floor, pulling a load up to your shoulders. Um, power snatch from a, from a work capacity standpoint, you're moving that barbell a long way from the floor to overhead. Um, as long as again, the, the individual is moving well and they're not sacrificing any portion of their body. Um, I view that as a valuable application. Again, that's just, that's just my opinion. Um, my, I, myself, I within the past year or two have developed, a torn meniscus so I don't do a whole lot of squat snatching or squat cleaning right now but I love I love um, power clean and jerks I love power snatches and again I'm not I'm not so much doing them from trying to perfect like you were talking about from like um, doing snatch balance variations or jerk recoveries or jerk dips or holds or anything like that but more so just from um, a standpoint of hey here's this barbell I've been training these lifts for a while, so I, I move well with them. Um, here's this barbell. I want to move it a long distance. I want to move it quickly. I want to move it repetitively. And under fatigue, I want to maintain that consistent movement and prevent, and prevent myself from uh, deteriorating from a form and technique standpoint. Uh, so, so that kind of breaks it into two categories. Again, more of a work capacity application with those lifts and more of a technical application. That technical application is a whole different beast, a whole different world. Um, takes takes a lot more time and diligence and effort, as you had mentioned. You know, you would do stuff every single day. Um as far as the overhead squat goes, jump into that real quick and then I'll I'll let you talk. Um that, in my opinion, and as I've coached more and more, and I've seen people, I've I evaluating people how they move every single day. Um more and more, I think that it is it is unnecessary for a large majority of the population. Um, if I want to get somebody, I would love it. I I would love it to apply to most of the population. But like right now, I'm I'm doing an eight week Olympic weightlifting seminar, and i oh, probably almost half of the individuals would be fine. And it would be fine to not overhead squat or not full snatch anymore. Um, but some people like to try it. I do think there is value to, to strive towards being able to achieve some of those positions and be able to achieve the flexibility and the stability and mobility that's required from that lift. Um, but if there's someone who's just really struggling with it, I rather get them really strong. And I rather have them move really well with a front squat, a back squat, a sandbag squat, goblet squat, et cetera and then i rather get them really strong overhead separately from an overhead squat as far as um strict press push press um kettlebell dumbbell variations overhead carries etc uh so that's that's my perspective in my opinion you know that that certainly has room to be debated but um i just don't think it's the most necessary for someone who doesn't have all the prerequisites mobility and stability etc now if the person does I think overhead squats are an excellent way. Um, I like what you said, like once a month, twice a month. I think they're an excellent way to grease the groove, so to speak, and to use some of that prerequisite mobility and stability just as to maintain it, if that makes sense.
1: No, I think you nailed it. And I like your idea of like, you know, honestly, most people just aren't ready for that. And I would say if I had athletes that were committed for a low trajectory long-term deal – then we undoubtedly will get to overhead squats uh, eventually. And we may even start them out initially with a broomstick and just use it as more of an assessment tool. I do like the idea or the premise of pursuing quality movement with quality movement. And I think that, you know, everything's about a progression and moving the needle slowly. But I think ultimately, you and I just wanna see people move more. Get off the couch, put the phone down, get off the feeds, and get to it, and just break a sweat and keep working hard. So like, that, absolutely, that's the ultimate goal, and that's the common denominator. Um, so let's geek out on archery shoulder stuff because that's why I brought you on, dude. Like, you're definitely a subject matter expert when it comes to archery specifically. Let's go over the most common faults we see in bow mechanics, uh, as it pertains to kind of like anatomy and physiology um, without using too big of words. And then let's talk about maybe some of the fixes, the things that you've, that you do in your courses to alleviate pain and promote quality archery. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, all right. So let's to clarify, let's start with the most common faults as far as mechanics and issues, issues in shooting, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, so we'll start on the front side, the, the bow arm. And, and the bow arm, what I mean by that is the arm that's holding the bow. Um, that, sh- that shoulder, surprisingly, I see a lot of issues with it. And I say surprisingly because most people think, hey, the draw shoulder, I'm, I'm pulling with that shoulder, I'm moving that shoulder a lot more, it's under a lot more stress. And it is. Um, and you would expect to see a lot more issues there. But it's, it's pretty close to 50 50 between the bow arm and the draw arm. Um, the big issues in that bow arm, or in that bow shoulder rather, the shoulder that's holding the bow, is that issues arise primarily from poor positioning and instability. So if you break those two down, poor positioning means that your shoulder blade or your arm in the socket is sitting in a position that is simply not agreeing with your shoulder, which is, is eventually accumulating into irritation. Or that shoulder blade is poorly positioning and holding in a position that is going to compromise the way your arm is sitting within the joint so poor positioning and then instability that word i describe to people as think about it as bracing or it's it's hands on hands on the rope how well can we lock that joint down and brace that joint and protect that joint while stilling while still allowing it to move so with poor positioning of the the shoulder blade and the shoulder joint. Most common things we see are are elevation in that front shoulder. Um, We see a tilting forward of the shoulder blade um, called anterior tilt. Sometimes we see some... um, inability to figure out how close or far that shoulder blade is from the spine and this is all important because anytime we change the position of the shoulder blade we're affecting the way that that arm is again sitting in the socket when we change how that arm sits in the socket we change the position of that rotator cuff and how it's traveling across the joint. we we change um how that arm is affecting structures within the shoulder such as the bursa the labrum um the the capsule within the shoulder or around the shoulder, so a lot of different things happening there. What's tricky about <clears throat> when we talk about instability or we talk about poor positioning? Well, uh, I'm sorry. Let me talk about the poor positioning first. What's tricky is if if that shoulder is in a poor position. Again, the shoulder blades off, the arm is rotated in a, in a position that's not working for the archer. There's two there's two ways to fix it. Um, number one is. Sometimes you can just cue somebody to make a change. So, Dan, you know with um, coaching and and working with different bow hunters and athletes that sometimes we just say, hey, um, shrug your shoulders down, put your shoulder blades in your back pockets for a squat. You may say, spread the floor, separate your knees, put your knees in the, the corners of the room, whatever it might be. Sometimes you can just very simply cue somebody to make a change and boom, we've made a change and we're in a better position that's gonna work for the archer. The trickier part and the part that there's a big disconnect and that's, that some people um, really struggle to, to grasp and understand is sometimes that individual needs to back off of the shot and learn how to make those positional changes outside of being under the pressure of a bow. So it's like, for instance, Dan, if you've got somebody who's, who's trying to pull or trying to back squat 300 pounds, we'll say, and it's it's 90% of their, their one rep max. That's probably not going to be the best place to make a cue, right? You're probably going to want to make a cue um, in a less intense environment and then reinforce that cue and then transfer that cue into those higher percentages in the squat. Same thing with with archery and with a, a positional change, especially in the front shoulder, is that at full draw or during the draw, might be too intense to get that person to make a change and then on top of that they just may not have the basic movement pattern ability and basic control of their shoulder to make a change it's it may be very very foreign to them i um, assessed a guy's shoulder on monday and we were looking at shoulder blade mechanics and how he could control his shoulder blade and it was amazing to me it just continues to amaze me how much of a disconnect some people have with their shoulder blades and with being able to create or to manipulate position so again that goes back to that poor positioning sometimes you can can correct it by just making a cue or just by by kind of helping them change right then and there but sometimes we've got to back off and we've got to got to address the positioning of that shoulder separate and outside of archery and then transfer it back into archery. Um, As far as as far as instability goes in that front bow shoulder, it comes down to the idea, is that individual stable enough internally within that shoulder to withstand the demands of drawing, holding and shooting a bow repetitively? So we know that an individual can have Fine strength in in their back. They can have good strength in 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 their delts and in their biceps and all these different things. But there are s- s- smaller muscles within that shoulder joint. In in trying to use simplified terms here, to help folks understand, there there are smaller muscles within that shoulder joint that are going to provide stability or provide that bracing that is needed to not only control the position that we just talked about, but also to withstand the demands of shooting. And sometimes there are just individuals that are are unstable or they're they're unprotected from an internal viewpoint um, that they're running into problems. And either they're falling out of good position and falling into bad position, or they're just in, in bad, unstable position because they don't have that stability and ability to brace the shoulder joints. Um, but that is, that is a huge component because as far as the anatomy goes in that, that shoulder, there's not a, we, we, have some, we have some different ligaments in the shoulder that help provide stability. We have a uh, shoulder capsule which is, is basically just tissue that wraps around um, the head of the arm bone that provides some stability. We have very little bony connection to the shoulder, which allows us the great mobility we have in our shoulder. But as far as those other structures, they don't provide the stability we need to protect the shoulder in an atmosphere like shooting a bow repetitively. So what comes into play, again, is those, those small particular muscles that help lock that shoulder down and help brace it when we're shooting. So to recap there, we have... Instability within that joint and the shoulder blade that lacks the ability to hold solid, position strong, get that shoulder blade tight to the back, get it down, keep it down, manipulate the, the rotation in the, the arm bone in the shoulder, all those different things. Um, and again, that's poor position and that stability. If we move over to the draw shoulder, the idea of stability is, is very similar. Um, but now the bow arm was a static position, and the bow arm is a static hold, or some some may call it maybe an isometric hold, meaning there's no movement. We're just holding a position. We're trying to keep ourselves in a good position, and we're trying to do it repetitively in, in the bow arm. In the draw arm, we still need stability, but now this is a, a dynamic movement, a fancy term for just meaning that we're, we're moving, we're producing force. We're contracting muscles. We're doing all these different things in the draw arm as we draw our bow. So that stability gets a little bit more complex because we've got to be stable while we're passing through different ranges of motion or while we're passing through different um, positions. So that stability still holds holds true as far as we need to be stable within that joint, those small muscles that can uh, brace us, protect us. Um, we also need What's uh, similar but a little bit different from the bow arm is we need really good shoulder blade mechanics. And what I mean by that is that shoulder blade needs to know how to move, when to move, and where to move. The difference between that and the bow arm is the bow arm, that shoulder blade is static. So I'm simply maintaining a position in the bow arm, whereas in the draw shoulder – I need to move that shoulder blade in rhythm and in conjunction with that elbow as I draw. That also can be a big issue for people because just like I said in the bow shoulder, how people have a hard time manipulating and and controlling the position of that shoulder blade and holding it there, individuals also have a hard time moving and initiating control and engagement of that shoulder blade as they draw so we need stability within that shoulder joint in the draw arm as well same idea needs to be ready and prepared for stress we need shoulder blade movement pattern and shoulder blade mechanics and strength in that shoulder blade we need how to we need to know how to initiate a back dominant draw with that shoulder blade and then the third uh, tricky component of the draw is how anatomy plays a role in the shoulder joint. And what I mean by that is that everybody's shoulder, everybody's anatomy in their shoulder and their their proficiency to move is a little bit different. So everybody's shoulder, if you were to look at it, peel the skin, the muscle away, everything, looks a slight bit different. And their ability to move is a slight bit different from one another, meaning some people have have more flexibility, others don't. Some people have um, greater strength in different muscles versus going to be different in someone else. So the reason why I bring that up is because we're going to see a variation in the way that somebody draws. And what I mean by that is particularly in the height of the elbow um, and this is this is a topic that always gets a, a lot of questions and um, a lot of debates and sometimes some argument um, but the idea or the premise is that we're all a little bit different and we're gonna have to find a strong comfortable and smooth and pain-free range of motion for that draw now, some individuals are going to draw a little bit higher with the elbow. Some are going to draw a little bit lower. I really try to steer people out of out of being uh, in, in on the extreme ends of the spectrum, meaning that I prefer, really prefer that someone isn't excessively high where their elbow's almost over their head.
1: Like uh, Chris B. You ever seen that guy draw a bow? Uh, I know who he is. I've not seen him draw a bow. Watch it. And then uh... – Cameron Haynes, he's pretty high. Uh, I think you're pretty low. I'm pretty middle ground. You're pretty, yep, you're you're pretty middle
2: ground. Yeah, so um, I, I prefer to keep people away from the severe ends of the spectrum. And what I mean by that is um, drawing with an elbow, probably, high, again, up towards, up above their head and probably below the collarbone. But where this gets tricky is that we have this general, general assumption that um, you know, th- this is the way we draw and this is the right way. Well, what I try to explain is, again, there are anatomical differences in the shoulder and there are variations in function in the shoulder that are going to determine what is the, the, the strongest, the smoothest, and the pa- most pain-free range of motion. We see the exact same thing in, in people that squat. So there are some people who squat wider. There are some people who squat narrower. We There are some people who squat with their toes flared. There are some people who squat with their toes pointed straight. And this is directly related to the differences in anatomy within the hip joint. And the hip joint is also a ball and socket joint, just like the shoulder joint is. So this principle, and, and this is a, a topic that I've, I've talked with numerous people, um, numerous physical therapists, uh, orthopedic surgeons, chiropractors, etc. that this principle, as far as the variation in joint, just like we see a variation in squatting, we're going to see a variation in, in the style of draw. Um, my, my number one concern with that is if what you're doing is working for you, don't change it. Where it becomes a problem is if someone is trying to force themselves into a style of draw that does not work for their shoulder function and does not work for their shoulder anatomy. You cannot outdo bone. You cannot outdo anatomy. You cannot outsmart it. So if you're putting yourself into a position where you're getting bony contact or you're having some sort of. Compression that's too significant or or abrasiveness within the shoulder, um, it, it's just not going to work. So where I try to assist individuals is, hey, they have they're drawing and they have pain and it's not working. Let's manipulate that position a little bit to see if we can find a little bit of a difference. It would be the same idea if someone comes to me in in a weightlifting seminar and says, hey, my my hips bothering me when I squat this way. Well, we'd we'd manipulate it. We'd find a little bit of a different position. So. Again, that's a topic that um, can can be talked about for a while, but the general idea is in that draw shoulder, we need stability deep within the joint. We need good shoulder blade mechanics that may or may not be able to train, be trained in the draw. We may have to separate those out, um, and then we need to take into account the current state of function and, um, uh, excuse me, function and, and, and anatomy within the shoulder to make sure that the individual's draw style is, is supporting them. So I think I'll let you obviously go with questions, but I think that that, that covers, um, the issues that we, we see as far as related to the draw and related to shooting.
1: No, I think you do, you did an awesome job there. I mean, I like to dumb it down for people, like super dumbed down. Here it is. We spent all this money on gear we spend all this money on even bows and arrows broadheads are expensive Uh, when people come to elk shape camp we don't even go into elk calling elk behavior elk tactics we don't even talk about fitness nutrition the whole first half of camp is everything to do with technical archery and your ability to shoot a controlled shot and improving your technique and so if we're talking about that being so important, because you could be really fit and really knowledgeable on elk hunting, but you could suck at archery, you're gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be a rough road. And what I think you provide is like another step even before that. Well, before we worry about measuring your brace height, your axle to axle, finding center shot, and working on your own bow why don't we work on the muscles involved so you can do repetitive archery? Because I feel like that's what it requires to have confidence. And to be deadly, you have to shoot almost every day, literally. And in order to do that, you better know what's what's the deal with the mechanics and how can I bulletproof my system so I don't have any nagging injuries or potentially, I mean, shoulder impingement. I mean, everybody's got a little bit of that to some degree. And if people don't even understand the basic mechanics and how dynamic the shoulder blades are and how many cool things they do and where they ought to be when you pull your bow back and when you you know you are aiming so do you i would imagine with a lot of your clients you have some sort of like even virtual clients you have to have some visual like perspicuity you have to be able to see What they're doing to fix. So, are these people like Skyping with you? Are they doing like filming themselves and sending you a video like Dropbox or texting it? Like, how do you see your clients? Yeah,
2: yeah, good question. Primarily, it's Skype or FaceTime. Um, I like FaceTime just because it's a little bit more mobile because I like to see a lot of different angles of range of motion movement. Um, so that. Sky or that I'm sorry that FaceTime being able to move the phone is really valuable um, and then some people will send me videos but definitely the the FaceTime is the most beneficial because I like to run through as many well I shouldn't say that I like to run through a good variety of assessment as far as range of motion as far as movement pattern um, movements or positions that may or may not provoke pain if there's someone that if they are someone that is having pain. So that is extremely valuable if I have somebody in person um, like again Monday I met with a, a client and that's where I can do some hands-on assessments and I can can manipulate myself I obviously would prefer to be in person not because I can see things better but because, I can start to do some more like active versus passive range of motion tests um, and, and things of that nature. But um, yeah, the, the more visual and the, the more assessment to a degree, uh, obviously there's too much, but that is really valuable in assessing where the weaknesses are, where the dysfunction is and being able to be as specific as possible, <clears throat> excuse me, for um, the application of the exercises in the, the corrective work.
1: Well, I think you've made your case, and I definitely think, like, people listening, my audience, guys, this is somebody who's definitely specializing for we as archers, so look into his stuff, check it out, archerstrong.com. Let's finish with a little whitetail, man, so this time of year, I imagine you've probably already scoured most of your hunting properties, maybe not, picked up sheds, Uh, give us a little idea what you do as a whitetail hunter who's got your properties nearby, how you manage it as far as... Shed hunting, post-season reconnaissance, running cameras, uh, when does your season open? Like, you know, not, I don't want to go too deep, but just kind of give me an overview of your, uh, your archery whitetail program.
2: Yeah, sure. So what I'm really thankful for is that, um, I I do hunt mostly private land. Um, I, I think at, at the beginning of our talk, I had mentioned how I've been lucky to gain access to hundreds and hundreds of of acres by helping farmers, establishing relationships. Um so I've put the work in for that. And almost every single one of my properties that I'm able to hunt is within oh probably five minutes. Um if not a minute or two. Yeah, I'm 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 really blessed. I'm I'm really lucky I I definitely have um, that advantage. But what that offers me is I'm very quickly able to take drives. I like to drive a lot and look. Um, I like to be able to kind of, I guess, scout, scout on the move where, um, especially the months leading up towards the season, I will drive either through farms or along roads that are adjacent to the properties that I can hunt. Um, and take a look that way. That just tells me a lot of information about what's going on and, and what deer deer are doing. Um, I'm also able to get to my farms pretty quickly as far as if I want to go pull cards or go take a quick walk. Um, since I've been in this area for a while and I've been hunting these properties for a handful of years, previous information and, and previous intel is, is super helpful, just what did the deer do last season, the season before? What are some of my experiences? Um, and then from there, I kind of narrow it down. And and I still really try to make a, or I still try to really take a step back, um, even though I've been hunting these properties for a handful of years and just say, hey, if this was the first time I was hunting this, where would I hunt based off of what I know about the land, what I know about the crops, what I know about the, the topography, et cetera. Um, and then one of the last things and the most important things is, as we talked about earlier, right smack where I am right now is one of the the densest populations of bow hunters in the country. So one of the most valuable things you can have is land or even just pockets of of timber where people don't hunt at all or where they don't hunt very often. Um, and a lot of times around here, you can have subpar food, you can have subpar bedding, but if it's unpressured, you can you can bet that it's it's holding some whitetails, and you can bet that it's probably holding some pretty good whitetails too. Um, pressure around here is is very high, so just learning neighbors. Uh, I try to learn neighbors. I try to uh, get as much information as I can from the people who are hunting around the area. You know, are they still hunting? Are they um, are they hunting often? Are they not going to be able to hunt this year? Um, just that sort of stuff. So, so learning about the pressure and learning about where can I be, where can I get to um, that is going to provide me with uh, unpressured more or less area to hunt. So I... I love it. I, I love the whitetail game. Um, I'm potentially moving. Well, no, I'm almost certainly moving uh, within the next uh, four or five months, just uh, about two hours northeast of here, closer to Lancaster, actually. Um, so my, my scouting is going to take place once I figure out where I'm going going from there. Um, so it's going to be fun learning some new areas, and that's going to be um, definitely a new, new start. I know that you um, have talked to in the past, uh, Bo Martonic.
1: Oh yeah. I was going to ask you if you guys are buds cause he's, he's my bro. Yeah. We, yeah,
2: we're, we're buds. So he's going to give me some assistance, uh, hopefully with some scouting, hopefully we will be, be able to rank, wrangle them in. Um, but I'm moving up towards his area. So that's going to be, be fun to learn, fun to learn new areas.
1: Dude. Why I've seen like at least one video of you at your place. I I'm sad you're moving. I feel like you're in, are you bummed out or are you excited?
2: Oh, definitely both. Um, I think, uh, I, I absolutely love where I live. Like I said, I've got a lot of privileges with the, the land around me and, um, I, I'm really happy here, but, uh, I also know that throughout my life, some of the, the best things that have happened to me have been a result of getting out of my comfort zone. Um, putting myself in new places in new situations. And uh, personally I I trust God to um, to kind of pave pave the way for that and to open up some new doors. So I'm definitely bummed, but I'm excited and uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be a fun journey.
1: Right on, man. Well I know you got a big day ahead of you. I appreciate you coming on. Guys, this Christian dude is legit and HQ approved. So if you guys get a chance I'm going to leave a link to your website as well as your Instagram. Uh, Am I missing anything else where people can learn more about what you got going on?
2: No, uh, website, Instagram. uh, If anybody wants to, please reach out. Um, My email, um, my cell phone, my uh, obviously messages on. Instagram is, is all open. I love talking to people, even, even just to talk. If you're just curious about anything or you're, you've ever wondered anything or want to learn something. Um, I love connecting with people, so, um, don't hesitate to reach out.
1: Definitely put a bug in ear Lancaster. If you're ever in there, um, I'm working with their marketing team right now. They're not getting back to me as fast as I wanted, but, uh, I do want to book that 2021 camp and just because of their facilities alone. And I gotta get to Pennsylvania, man. I think I can get Bo to show up and get you to help out and get some really awesome, you know, just subject matter experts and blow this camp up. So uh, maybe we'll, maybe I'll get to meet you in person.
2: Yeah, man, that would be awesome. I would, I would definitely enjoy that. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, and thanks for everybody listening.
1: All right guys, here's your chance to work towards your ultimate goal of being the best archer, the best version of yourself and uh, appreciate having Christian on and remember separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. All right guys, that was a fun podcast with Christian, pretty intelligent human being, very avid hunter and I just I think him and I hit it off. We'd be friends if we lived closer and I hope to see him if you guys uh, want to put a bug in Lancaster's ear, I need to get that booked for 2021. I'm coming to Pennsylvania regardless, and I want to do a big elk-shaped camp there. There's a lot of diehard bow hunters, and uh, I'll bring all my squad, and we will crush it. If you are looking for garage gym programs right now, look no further than 90 Days to Freedom. This is 12 weeks, fully video-supported, minimal equipment. I'm going to tell you what to do seven days a week. There are active rest days and recovery days but it's a very thorough program took me a long time to make it's $69.99 it trumps all other programs when it comes to thoroughness and price point do not spend hundreds of dollars on a workout program you should be spending hundreds of dollars on hunting gear or home gym equipment or gas for your truck so you can scout or saving up for more tags so check that out i'm also coming out with 20 for 20 that's 20 workouts under 20 minutes with minimal equipment and it's gonna be 20 bucks that's really really cheap but i want it to be a gateway drug for you to try our other programs it's utilitarian meaning it's not very sexy it's the meat and potatoes only it doesn't include how to warm up injury prevention cool downs nothing like that it's just here's 20 badass workouts you can do at home and it should be enough to move the needle and get things going in the right direction lastly we have elk shape camp online There's over 50 videos there right now. They're all 20 to 30 minute videos. We are adding videos weekly and we are still working on editing elk shape camp three, which we've done two additional camps past that. So I have a lot of editing to do. The good news is the intern starts next week. I'll have him start editing. So we're adding to that vault and there's lots of other bonus content in there as well. It's going to take you over Probably six months to digest all those videos from Ryan Lampers' backcountry systems and shelters and food to Dirk Derm's calling instruction, Jason Phelps, Joel Turner, and then all the nutrition and workout and then a lot of my elk hunting tactics for hunting solo and group calling and all that stuff. So it's a wealth of information and we've monetized it because it's valuable. So it's Elk Shape Camp online. It's 99 bucks for a year and you can crush a lot of things with your, with your downtime. So check that out. It's on the website and I think you will dig it and just know that we're continuing to grow the vault weekly. And I'm excited about that. Thanks for listening guys. I appreciate you all. And, um, my heart goes out to all the folks working in the hospitals, my wife included. Thank you. All you essential workers, truck drivers, doctors, nurses, and, uh, moms and dads that are at home with their kids. Strange times, but we will, overcome and adapt and we will take advantage of this time to make 2020 the best year yet i said it we can still make 2020 the best year yet stay positive stay hungry you know what everything we talk about at elk shape comes down to delayed gratification discipline being accountable to yourself and of course hard work you guys take care and we're going to catch you on the next one